Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. This is the tech news for Thursday, August 26th, 2021. Should be a pretty short and sweet episode. Let's get to it. Now, last week, I reported that OnlyFans, which is a, a, a content platform that is most famous for hosting adult content and sexually explicit content, was promoting a streaming video app that would strictly stick to safe-for-work content because that was the only way the company was going to get the app through and accepted into the Google and Apple app stores. But following that was a roller coaster of a story. First, the company said it was planning to change its content policies, and namely, uh, OnlyFans initially announced that it would no longer allow for sexually explicit content on the site. And it sounded as though nudity would not be forbidden, but anything expressly sexual would be. That precipitated a protest, which included content creators who essentially made the site what it is, the argument being this site wouldn't exist without that content. Uh, Sex workers were among those protesting and other supporters. They were criticizing the company's decision. Well, now OnlyFans has since reversed that decision and said this planned change in policy will not happen after all. It was supposed to happen October 1st, and now it's not going to happen. Moreover, the company said the whole reason for this proposed change in the first place wasn't necessarily because the company had shifted toward a more conservative philosophy, but rather it comes down to money. Uh, or maybe more precisely, it comes down to payment processing. So according to this argument, at issue are companies like MasterCard and Visa. These are payment processing companies that facilitate financial transactions. You know, obviously for thousands of companies, right? Not just OnlyFans, but all around the world. Now, without these transaction services, it becomes increasingly difficult to handle financial transactions, particularly at scale. And so companies depend upon these very large entities to make the flow of money possible, because obviously without money, there's nothing. You know, creators want to be paid, the site needs to make money, so these processing services hold a lot of power. And holding a lot of power over the payment processing services are various conservative groups that object to sexually explicit content. This is not the first time we've seen platforms, you know, either bow or attempt to bow to pressure from payment services. Patreon went through something very similar. There were also reports that OnlyFans was struggling to secure investment money and that the issue of sexually explicit material on the site was the reason for that challenge. But at any rate, the uh, the protests seem to have swayed OnlyFans to change course yet again and reject the requirement for content creators to follow a new policy. Now, the reason I wanted to cover this story was not for its salacious nature. It wasn't because of controversy or to, you know, throw sex into the mix, but rather to highlight how politics and influence groups and money play a huge role in everything, including in the tech sector and on online platforms. 
and that we can't really look at any issue without taking the larger context into account or else we miss important details. So while your personal stance on the appropriate or inappropriate nature of sexually explicit content is valid, like that's part of your philosophy and I do not wish to put my own thoughts <laughs> on there, I would say that you know, ultimately, we're looking at a lot of people using a lot of influence to try and push things toward a specific agenda. And uh, that's where the conflict comes out of. I, I don't think it was a lot of people reduced to this to essentially say that OnlyFans was turning its back on the people who had made the site what it was. I think there's an element of that that is true, but I think it is far more complicated than that summary. Moving on, earlier this week, I talked about the ongoing semiconductor shortage and how we might see that issue affect stuff like, you know, the supply of various technologies and products. Well, the Wall Street Journal reports that the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, which is the largest semiconductor chip manufacturer in the world, is going to increase its prices potentially by as much as 20%. Now, if you're going to bump up your prices by a fifth, that's pretty significant. And most of these chips are not going to people like you and me. These are being purchased by other companies, which are then using those chips as components in other products, which can include anything from advanced technology to simple gadgets. But if the semiconductor companies are raising their prices and these other secondary companies are going to have to pay more money to buy a basic component, I bet you can guess where that bump in cost is going to go next. Yeah, this very likely means that for a fairly wide range of products, we're likely to see prices start to go up. Otherwise, the companies that are selling this stuff will have to do so at a loss. And that's, you know, not great in the business plan. You don't want to sell things for less than what you paid to make them. And we've definitely seen this already happen in the automotive world, although that's a more complicated issue. You've got a limited supply of cars and you've got steady demand. And by the laws of, of su supply and demand, if the supply is low and the demand is high, then prices tend to go up. Uh, just kind of how it works in, in, in that free market sort of approach. However, it would not surprise me to see this trend kind of affect a, a wider variety of technology in the months to come, which is not great news, especially as we move toward the holiday season. We will have to see. One group of policies that has had an enormous impact on business in general, but the tech world in particular, is the GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation, in the European Union. These rules restrict how companies can collect and use personal information of EU citizens, and it includes numerous protections for citizens of the EU in an era where data collection is pretty much the name of the game. This is why a lot of sites include those little pop-up notifications about cookies and tracking and whatnot, and allow you to opt out of that or to leave the site before, you know, the data collection begins. Well, the UK famously said peace out to the EU, and now Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary for the UK, says that the nation is going to take a slightly different path from the EU and leave at least 
parts of the GDPR regulations behind. However, this is all much easier said than done, because while the UK might not be part of the EU anymore, it definitely has lots and lots and lots of transactions with the EU frequently. I mean, as as much as a small subsection of Brits might like to think that they are a world unto themselves, something that a lot of Americans can identify with, the fact is there are actually a lot more people outside of the UK than there are in it. Anyway, whatever new rules take the place of GDPR in the UK will have to meet EU approval or else the UK might see various data channels connecting it to the continent kind of shut down. The UK has named John Edwards, who currently is the Privacy Commissioner of New Zealand, as a potential candidate to take over the job of Information Commissioner, which would start in November of this year, and that he would then oversee the drafting of new rules. It will likely be a pretty complicated process to make certain that the new rules are compatible enough with GDPR and protect British citizens adequately and to, you know, kind of remove some of the stuff that the UK sees as being unnecessary or counterproductive. And I wish them luck in those endeavors. I have a few more news stories, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break. BuzzFeed News published an article that reveals that 24 countries have made use of Clearview AI's facial recognition technology. And you may have heard me talk about Clearview AI before. That company has actually run into some trouble with various online platforms after using technology to scrape those platforms for publicly posted images in order to build out an enormous facial recognition database without the consent of the people whose you know, images they collected. And you might say, well, if someone posts a photo publicly on their Facebook profile, like if their profile is public and they post it to the public you know, setting, then it's fair game because it's all public, right? But what if that photo includes other folks in it? It's not like just a selfie. What if a friend of yours takes a photo that has you in it and then they post that photo on their public Facebook profile, and then Clearview AI scoops up that photo, and now your face is also in that database. Even though you never gave consent, you don't publicly post pictures, at least in this hypothetical situation, and so you never had an option to opt in or opt out of this. It just happened because a friend of yours decided that that picture just needed to go up on that Facebook profile. All of that just stinks, right? I mean, this affects people who aren't even on Facebook, right? You got people who just know people who are on Facebook and they happen to show up in pictures and they had no say in any of this. This is just one of the many problems that privacy rights advocates have with Clearview AI. Another big one is that facial recognition technologies are notoriously prone to bias, and that this frequently means the tech is just plain bad at recognizing images, specifically of non-white people, and this can lead to false positives. That has actually happened in numerous cases around the world where police have acted upon uh, incorrect facial recognition hits. So... This disproportionately affects people of color. It is, it is bad. 
BuzzFeed's report shows how widely used this tech is within various institutions around the world, including agencies that are funded by taxpayers. So in other words, we're all paying to be spied upon and potentially misidentified. There's been a growing movement around the world to restrict facial recognition technology use, especially in investigations, and some communities outright ban police use of that technology. Honestly, I'm all for banning facial recognition tech for those kinds of investigations. And I've said this before, relying on technology to solve a social problem when the tech just isn't there yet, that's just a recipe to make a bad social problem even worse, or to create new social problems that interact with existing ones. Not a good thing. Tech is not a, a solve-all approach to all of our problems, and relying on tech to be that is a recipe for disaster. I see the same thing playing out with climate change, where people are saying, I'm not worried because we're going to come up with tech to solve this problem. There's no guarantee we'll do that. There's no guarantee it'll be on a timeline that will actually make a difference. You cannot use the you know tech as some sort of literal deus ex machina <laughs> to come in and rescue us. All right, soapbox set aside. But sticking with facial recognition tech, the register reports that a South Korean government agency called the Personal Information Protection Commission, uh, or PIPC, found that Facebook created facial recognition templates for 200,000 South Koreans without first securing proper consent, and that this happened between April 2018 and April 2019. The government has then fined Facebook 6.46 billion won. Now, that's about five and a half million dollars. And let's be honest, that is a lot of money. Five and a half million dollars, that's a ton of money. I would, I would be gobstruck to get five and a half million dollars. But for Facebook, that probably doesn't even amount to a catered dinner at Facebook. Anyway, the organization also told Facebook that it would need to destroy the facial recognition info the company had developed for South Koreans. And then if it wanted to rebuild it, it would first have to obtain consent from each person before starting back into that process. It also issued a warning to Google and told the company to make its privacy policies and settings more transparent. And Netflix got hit with a 220 million won or just under $190,000 in fines for collecting the data of users without first gaining their consent. So we're seeing more pushback in this field. But again, like those amounts, I mean, they might, they probably make sense within the context of South Korea, but they are so small in the grand scheme of these companies that while, uh, you know, no one ever wants to pay a fine, it's barely an inconvenience. The EU is looking to chip away at some of the features that cryptocurrency enthusiasts happen to like a lot. Namely, uh, that whole bit about privacy, you know, being able to make transactions without everyone knowing your business. The EU wants companies like Coinbase and Kraken, so essentially companies that handle like digital wallets and stuff, to collect information on people who are conducting cryptocurrency transactions. And this gets really interesting to me because it actually shows how, how there's some conflicting philosophies at play in the EU when it comes to digital information. Because on the one hand, 
You have some fairly extensive data protection laws on the books that are meant to help citizens protect their privacy and their security and to know who has their data and how they are using that data. But on the other hand, well, you know, they want to keep track of these transactions and thus that means giving up some privacy in order for that information to be traceable. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that you clearly are thinking about taxation, right? If you want to tax transactions that otherwise are going hidden. Another is that a lot of criminals use cryptocurrency in an effort to launder money from illicitly gained sources. That's something clearly the authorities would want to know about. They'd want to be able to trace that. So there are some legit reasons for countries to want to do this. This rule would require crypto companies to make these transactions traceable, and it would bring cryptocurrency kind of in line with the rules that guide other banking and financial institutions, including the fact that you would not be allowed to have an anonymous digital wallet. Like digital wallets would have to be tied to specific individuals, and that would need to be traceable. And finally, the search business is seriously big business, like, like wicked big. And one way to try and wrap your head around how big search is in the sense of like how much money it makes is to look at how much Google will pay Apple to allow Google search to be the default search engine for Safari and thus the default search engine for Mac and iOS devices. Now, back in 2020, Google reportedly coughed up $10 billion for that privilege. And this year, according to an analyst firm called Bernstein, the amount might be closer to $15 billion and it would just increase from there. So next year would probably be closer to 18 to $20 billion. That is a princely sum indeed. Now, the analysts say this isn't set in stone. Google might ultimately decide that the expense it pays is not worth the benefit it gets. Or you might have a regulatory agency step in and say, hey, this doesn't seem like it's a good practice. It seems anti-competitive. And that would mean that you're falling into some you know, trends of monopolies and you start getting into illegal territory. But what it really shows you is that Google is definitely an ad company, right? Like that is Google's business. Search just happens to be the prime way that Google gets eyeballs on advertisement. And that's what generates revenue for the company. So yeah, Google provides a search service, but its business is in advertising. So I guess it's true that you got to spend money to make money. And that applies even when you're looking at multi-billion dollar corporations. Now, if like me, you're wondering how much Google pulls in from its search business, like what is justifying this incredible expense? Well, in 2020, the company reported revenues of $104 billion in the search and other category. And that in turn was more than 70% of all of Google's revenue for that year. So yeah, these are the big leagues we're talking about. Still blows my mind that it's that big though. And that's it for the news that I have for you guys on Thursday, August 26, 2021. We'll be back next week with more tech news and episodes. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon.
Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 